But I mentioned a few weeks ago in here that we may close out this series uh, listening to uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And uh, so uh, Sunday afternoon, I spent some time preparing for tonight to go over the last, um, you guys have that paper there, uh, the last, um, I think it's the judge, right, the, that we're going to go over. And uh, the more I looked at it, again, this morning, I decided I didn't want to do that. So I made a mistake this morning when I, when I went to work out. I, I listened to that message from Adrian Rogers again, and then I was convinced I could preach it better than him. And uh, then I realized that was impossible. So we're going to listen to him tonight, all right? And uh, uh, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go through a lot of Scripture. I do have them on the screen. Uh, most of the ones he's going to give you will be on the screen. So, um, But the outline is on the, the back side of that, that paper for the message that you're going to hear. Um, he did a phenomenal job. And, of course, he is one of my favorite preachers to listen to. Um, and uh, I know... Um, David is uh, super excited to hear. In fact, he almost passed out a minute ago when he heard his voice. So I think he has a major... Is that, is that right, Dave? He has a man crush on him. But anyways, uh, we're going to listen to this great message on the rapture. Um, and uh, I hope you will be encouraged. Um, I know that you'll be encouraged and I know you'll be challenged uh, by it as well. And uh, so pray for no technical difficulties because I'm, I'm going to be playing this from my phone, okay? And nothing ever goes wrong with technology, right? Major theme in the Word of God. I love it because God the Father loves it. I love it because the early church loved it. These early Christians, my dear friends, spoke often one to another about Jesus Christ and His second coming. I love it because the devil hates it. If there's any doctrine that the devil would like to see removed from our churches, it is this, that Jesus Christ may come at any moment. And no wonder the devil doesn't like the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ because when Christ comes, he's going to be cast into the pit. He's not there yet, but he will be put there, my dear friend, and he'll get the longest prison sentence on record, and I hope it is with hard labor. I love it because Satan hates it. And I love the second coming of Jesus because one day and soon and very soon, I will lay these very eyes upon the Lamb of God who died for me. And what a day that will be when Jesus comes. And so I believe that we, ladies and gentlemen, are on a collision course with destiny and we cannot afford to be ignorant. Now, the signs of the times are all around us. <laughs> I've stopped looking for the signs almost. I'm listening for the shouts. I believe soon we're going to hear the shout, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. One of the most blessed truths that I know is this, that Jesus may come at any moment, at any moment. The last prayer of the Bible is this, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And perhaps today, perhaps before I finish this series, perhaps before I finish this sermon, perhaps before I finish this sentence, Jesus will come. With that in mind, may I tell you that the books of First and Second Thessalonians have much to say about the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that is the dominant theme in these two books. And that's the reason I have chosen selected passages from these two books for our study. 
Our passage today is 1 Thessalonians 1 and verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. One of the most beautiful and pregnant phrases in all of the Scripture, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, I want to take these verses and back into them, as it were. I want to take the last part first. And first of all, let me talk to you about what we see there, the dark line in verse 10, the wrath to come. Do you see it? The wrath to come. Write down these words, impending wrath. Impending wrath. There is something that the Bible calls the wrath to come. Not only is Jesus coming, there is something coming that the Bible calls the wrath to come. Now, what is this? It is, ladies and gentlemen, the great tribulation. You think that we're having difficulty now? The great tribulation, the wrath to come, will make these days seem as a Sunday school picnic. The great tribulation will be a time of hell on earth. It will be a time of unspeakable sufferings. The prophet Daniel warned about those times. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Daniel said, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. A time of trouble, he says, incomparable, without parallel, Never before in history, Daniel said, will there be a time like this time? And the Lord Jesus Christ warned about it. Matthew 24, verse 21 and following, Jesus Christ said, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. We're not talking about normal tribulation. We're not talking about the dark and horrible times that Christians have known through the centuries. We're talking about a unique time. Daniel said a time of trouble. Jesus said great tribulation. The apostle Paul said the wrath to come. Then would you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 for a moment. Revelation chapter 6 describes this wrath to come. And I want you to see it. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Follow us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Now watch this next phrase, the wrath of the Lamb. Now we speak of the gentleness of the Lamb and the love of the Lamb. But my dear friend, the love of God is half of the truth, but not all of the truth. And when you take half of the truth and make that half of the truth all of the truth, then that half of the truth 
becomes an untruth. There is the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? All of these scriptures, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, the apostle John, they are all saying the same thing. There is coming a terrible, terrible day without precedent and without parallel to this earth. The Bible calls it in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10, the wrath to come, impending wrath. Now let's just go back to the beginning of Revelation 6 and find out what it's going to be. Because I believe, my dear friend, that uh, the flames of judgment are already appearing on the horizon. Revelation chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. Look at it. I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. When it begins to thunder, what do you expect? A storm, don't you? And uh, it was as the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Now we're going to see four horsemen who will ride forth during the great tribulation. Some call these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And all of this that I'm giving you is a description of that phrase that the Apostle Paul used when he said, the wrath to come. The first horse is the white horse of dominion. Look at it. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Who is it that rides this white horse? It is none other than the Antichrist himself. A white horse in Bible typology speaks of dominion. It speaks of conquest. It speaks of triumph. And during this time, the devil's Messiah, the Antichrist, will rule the world. He has a bow in his hand, which is a symbol of power. He has a crown on his head, which is a symbol of dominion. You say, will the world really be ruled by the Antichrist? Oh, yes, it will. Jesus Christ made it plain. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 5 and verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Jesus said, you did not receive the true Christ, but you will receive the Antichrist. First, there's the white horse of dominion. And then there's the red horse of destruction. Look, if you will, in verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. The red horse of destruction. Red is the color of blood. And when this devil-inspired Antichrist rides forth to conquer, ideas of conquest will come into his evil brain. And there will be war and havoc and destruction because red is the color of blood. Have you ever thought about our world today? 
that it is armed to the teeth with all kinds of destructive weapons. General Omar Bradley, a great old man who's now gone on, observed incisively, we know more about war than about peace, more about killing than about living. This is the 20th century's claim to progress. Knowledge of science outstrips capacity for control. We have too many men of science, too few men of God. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience, a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. That's what General Omar Bradley had to say. Well, my dear friend, all of this is going to come to climax. And the Bible calls it the great day of his wrath. First, the white horse of dominion. Secondly, the red horse of destruction. And when this happens, uh, the spirit of hatred that is in Antichrist will inflame the hearts and minds of men and cause brother to kill brother and fathers to slay their own sons. And it will be a time of unparalleled suffering as swords drip with the blood of those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. And lying in the streets will be the stench of decaying carcasses and the air will be filled with the moans and groans of the living, the weeping of the living and the groans of the dying. And you can understand what Jesus said when he said prophesying that time, woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For then shall be great tribulation. Ah, but there's another that rides forth. First the white horse then the red horse, and then the black horse of deprivation. Look, if you will, in chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. What does the black horse speak of? It speaks of famine. Famine. Famine invariably follows war. There are scales in this passage that would weigh out and measure food. It speaks of the scarcity of food. And it tells us it's going to be a time of soaring prices and starving nations. And it tells us here that a measure of wheat will be sold for a penny, a denarius, which is a, a day's work. A, a measure of wheat is one meal. It'll take a day's work to get just enough to live on. Already we live in a world with five billion people and one half of them approximately live in perpetual hunger. But what will it be in the tribulation when able-bodied men inflamed with the spirit of hatred go off to war and the fields will lie untilled and poisoned gas will be everywhere? We remember in history when Titus came against Jerusalem so many years ago, almost two millenniums ago, that he surrounded the city and cut the people off from the fields of grain outside and then he confiscated the food for his own soldiers and starvation stalked the city and half-demented, half-crazed mothers killed and ate their own children during that time. 
Well, my dear friend, a time Jesus said that is worse than anything history has known is yet to come. And so there gets ready another horse to ride. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And this is the pale horse of decimation. Look, if you will. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that set on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. That's more than a billion people to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. The word pale is the Greek word chloros. It speaks of a sickly greenish yellow color. And it's the horse of decimation, where millions are decimated. What this passage is telling us is, in the dark days of the coming wrath, there will be hatred inspired by Antichrist, and war brought on by that hatred, and bloodshed brought on by that war, and famine brought on, and famine produces death, and following death comes hell. They tell us, that more people sometimes die in the aftermath of a war than die in the war itself by cholera and epidemics and famine. But after death, according to this passage, follows hell. Look, if you will, in verse 8. Death and hell followed with him. It's not just death, but hell follows. Death claims the body. But hell will claim the soul. You can't crawl up in the grave and pull the dirt over your face and hide from God. What days these are going to be. Terrible, terrible days. And I believe that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are ready to ride. And I believe if you listen, you can hear the thundering hoofbeats as they are rapidly approaching. The great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? This passage in 1 Thessalonians warns us of the wrath to come. But my dear friend, I've only told you a part of what will happen in the great tribulation. Turn to Revelation chapter 9 and look with me. It's going to be a time when demon spirits are unleashed upon this earth. Look, if you will, in Revelation 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Who is that fallen star? It is Lucifer himself. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. This is the abyss. And the key is given to the arch criminal to open up the penitentiary of wicked and foul spirits who are incarcerated in the abyss. And he's given the key. Satan himself will unlock the abyss. And when he does, something horrible is going to happen. Notice verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke 
locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. John Phillips uses some words to describe these locusts. I want to borrow them. First of all, they are infernal. Infernal. That is, they come from the pit. These locusts come from hell. He's not talking about ordinary locusts. This is an emblem, a symbol of demon spirits themselves, the blinding, choking, demonic forces. They are infernal spirits. They are insatiable spirits. Look, if you will, in verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, in the east, great swarms of locusts are known to come, and they shred and devour everything in sight, every blade of grass, every green leaf. They've been known even to strip trees of the bark but not these locusts. These locusts will not feed on green things. They will feed and feast on men, on men. And they will not be sated. They are insatiable. But not only are they insatiable, they are intolerable. Look, if you will, in verses 5 and 6. And to them it was given that they should not kill them. That is, they don't kill these men, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment, was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Have you ever been bitten by a scorpion? I have. To say that it was not pleasant is certainly an understatement. But these locusts, thousands, millions, perhaps billions of them, out of the pit will have the power to inflict pain, intolerable, terrible pain. How terrible is that pain? Well, the Bible says in verse 6, In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death will flee from them. Men would gladly embrace death. What we call death would be a welcome release from the torment inflicted by these demonic spirits that are going to be let loose on the earth. Not only are they intolerable, they are irresistible. Look, if you will, in verse 7, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared to battle. Here they go forth, marching, prancing, dancing, racing, running. And who can stop them? Who can stand against the rapid progress of these demonic forces that are let out of the pit? They're irresistible. They are invincible. Look, if you will, in verse 7, and they had on their heads uh, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. What does that mean? It means that Satan has been given dominion. Satan is temporarily on the throne. It is the devil's millennium. Hell is having a holiday. They are irresistible, invincible. They are intelligent. Look in verse 7 again. And their faces were as the faces of men. In Bible typology, the face of a man speaks of intelligence but human intelligence. And it has always been human wisdom to ridicule the truth of God. Satan's appeal is always to the mind and not to the heart and the conscience as it is in Scripture. 
These demonic spirits give us some idea of how we learn about the wiles and the seductiveness of Satan, who is very crafty and very intelligent. But they're also insidious. Look, if you will, in verse 8, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. No ordinary locusts these. The hair of women speaks of the seductiveness and attractive fancies of demonic forces. The Bible warns us of seducing spirits. And the devil would seduce so many. And that's what it means here, I believe, with the hair of women. But you'd better look beyond, my dear friend, the outward fancy of Satan and the outward attractiveness of this angel of light because he's also a roaring lion, the Bible says. And he has teeth as the teeth of lions to shred and devour those that they fall upon. They are insidious, hair like women, but teeth like lions. Verse 9, they are insensitive, and they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. What does that mean? It means for a while they will be immune to harm. It will do puny and sinful men no good to fight back. How often we underestimate the power of Satan and we make jokes about the power of Satan, but they are, my dear friend, insensitive, but they are inescapable. Notice, if you will, the last part of verse 9, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle everywhere. The air is filled with the noise of these demonic spirits. You will not outwit them. You will not outrun them. They are injurious. Look, if you will, in verse 10. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Five months is the normal lifespan of a locust. And the writer of Revelation, the old apostle John, uses that to tell us that these demonic forces who have stings like scorpions, uh, they are going to run their course. They have power to injure. But last of all, they're indivisible. Look, if you will, in 11 and 12, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Now there's a king over these locusts. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. This name literally means destruction. A mighty prince demon, perhaps Satan himself, is the one who is leading these who torture those who dwell upon the earth during the great tribulation that the Bible calls the wrath to come. Now, I'll admit that I've said much that we don't find here in 1 Thessalonians, but if you'll go back to it, I just wanted to take that excursion through the Scripture just to give you some idea about what we're talking about when we say that Jesus is coming to deliver us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come. And so write down, first of all, impending wrath. Impending wrath. There's a day coming. Never been a day like it. Secondly, the expectant wait. Look, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven. Now listen to this. Here's the good part. Who hath delivered us from the wrath to come. Do you see that? His son who hath delivered us from the wrath to come. Here's the question. 
Will the church go through this great tribulation? Will the church be subject to the wrath to come? I think not, and I'll tell you why not. I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the church will be taken out of the wrath to come. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, if you will, for just a moment. Look at it. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Do you see that? God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the apostle John told that church at Philadelphia the same thing. Revelation 3 verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. Out of the hour of temptation, literally, that shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, you say that's what John said to the church at Philadelphia. Well, Revelation 3, verse 13, after that says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. What he says to Philadelphia, he says to us, If we will keep the word of his patience, he will deliver us from that hour of temptation. God does not pour out his wrath upon his children. He chastises his children, but his wrath is for the unsaved. And before God pours out wrath, God takes his children out. Before a kingdom declares war on another kingdom, first of all, what does he do? What does that kingdom do? They call the nationals home before they declare war. And before God poured out fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, the angel said to Lot, I can't do anything till you've come forth. Get Lot out of Sodom before wrath falls. Lot was taken out, and then the wrath fell. Poor backslidden Lot. Still, he was saved, and he had to be taken out. We are looking for Jesus to come at any moment. My dear friend, if the church is going through the great tribulation, there would be certain things that would have to happen, and we could not be looking for Jesus to come at any moment. But listen to these scriptures. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said concerning his coming, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Matthew 24, verse 42, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Matthew 24, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. If the church is going through the great tribulation, I can simply start marking off the days. The tribulation is seven years, divided into periods of three and a half years. I could count down the time, but the Bible teaches that we are looking for Jesus. We are waiting for His Son from heaven. We're not waiting for the tribulation. Mark 13, verses 32 and following. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Over and over our Lord is telling us to be ready. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. If the church is going through the great tribulation, then rather than looking up, I start looking around. I am waiting not for Christ, but for Antichrist. There is no blessed hope. Death would be better than to go through the tribulation and into the kingdom. Oh, my dear friend, the impending wrath, but the expectant wait. We are waiting for Jesus. And then, last, the exemplary work. What should we do? The title of the message is Getting Ready for the Rapture. 
How did these people get ready for the second coming of Jesus? Well, look in verse 9, if you will. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had among you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. First of all, first of all, if you would get ready for the rapture, you need to turn to God from idols. Oh, we have old gods. We've just renamed them. Rather than the god Mammon, which speaks of greed, we call it ambition. Rather than the god Bacchus, who was the god of debauchery and wine, we just call it having a good time, the happy hour. Rather than the goddess Aphrodite, which was the god of sexual lust, we just rename that god and, and we call it the sexual revolution. It's the same old god or goddess with new names, the same old idol. Now, today, rather than the god Mars, which was the god of war, we just call it righteous indignation, and we have more strife and crime and hatred right here in our city. Old gods with new names. What is an idol? An idol is anything you love more than God. An idol is anything you trust more than God. An idol is anything you serve more than God. An idol is anything you fear more than God. I don't care what it is. It's an idol. It's an idol. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You must turn to God from idols. You cannot have Jesus Christ and this world at the same time. You must repent. That's the first thing to get ready for the rapture. Have you turned to the true and the living God? Have you forsaken the old way? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ, who is the true and the living God? May I tell you the second thing that you must do? Not only did they turn to God from idols, but they began to serve the true and the living God. Now, I want to tell you that you may say, Adrian, I believe the things that you're preaching about prophecy. I always love to hear a preacher preach on prophecy. Well, I want to tell you, my dear friend, with all of the unction, function, and emotion of my soul, if you believe what I'm saying today, you're going to begin to serve Jesus. You're going to get your head out of the clouds of prophecy and get your feet on the pavement of soul winning. I tell you the real test. The real test is whether or not you believe what I'm saying is what are you doing to warn men to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, do you really believe these things that we have preached today? We'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be gathered home. And I'll tell you the third thing that they did. Look at it again. They are waiting for Jesus to come. They are waiting for Jesus, not as some last resort, not as some fire escape, but if you'll study the Scripture, they are saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. They were looking for His coming. They were longing for His coming. They were living for His coming. They were praying for His coming. They were dying for His coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You need to get this out of your notebook and into your heart. Dear old Dr. Vance Havner told an illustration of a woman who was waiting at the train station for her fiancé to come. He was coming in on the train, and they were going to get married. She was there waiting for the train, waiting for the train, looking, listening, longing. The old station master was there also. He had all of the charts. He had all of the schedules. He knew about the facts of that train coming. But, oh, he was not expecting like she was because her bridegroom was on that train. I want the spirit not of the station master. I want the spirit 
of that young lady. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The Bible says we are to wait for his son from heaven who hath delivered us from the wrath to come. I wonder how many today know Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be saved today. For Jesus Christ may come today. And I find no hope in the Bible for anyone to be saved who has refused the gospel before Jesus comes. And if you refuse the gospel before Jesus comes, you will be given strong delusion. You will believe a lie and become the dupe of Antichrist, entering into the tribulation horrors and then into hell. How can a man be saved? You turn to God from idols. Turn in faith. Pray like this. Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin and save me. I cannot save myself. I don't deserve to be saved, but you died to save me. You promised to save me. If I would only trust you, I do trust you with all of my heart. And when you say that and mean it, there's a divine transaction. You are born again. Father, may many come today to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now you know why I didn't try to preach that, right? What a challenge. I hope that, um, you know, we started this series with one of the first things we talked about was why we would study or why we should study uh, end times or the the prophecy of Christ's return, and, and what we landed on that first evening was that if the study of the end times, the study of Christ's return doesn't encourage or challenge us to tell people about Christ, then it really is a waste of time. It's just information, isn't it? And I hope that you've been challenged as we've walked through this for quite a while now uh, to share your faith. Uh, we have the greatest gift, don't we? And uh, we have an opportunity um, at Christmas time. People are more interested, uh, maybe attending a service. And so I would encourage you, invite someone to join you uh, on the 24th. There's invite cards all over the church. Grab a couple of those. Invite someone to, to join you. And then uh, this Saturday also, we're going to have an opportunity at 10 o'clock. You can meet up here with us. And we're meet uh, right, come in the door right here where the, the uh, kids sign is outside. And uh, we're going to go out for about an hour or hour and a half and just hit our neighborhood up and invite them to church. So if you can be here at 10 o'clock, dress warm. It's going to be a little chilly Saturday at 10, but uh, it'll be worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for um, your revelation to us. Lord, the reminder as we think about Christmas of the first coming of Jesus, but we have to look then expectantly for the second coming of Christ. And we thank you that we... We have the knowledge of Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that it would encourage us as we study Scripture and we see that as we've learned tonight and walked through tonight that we'll be saved from the wrath to come. But, Lord, may that just not make us comfortable. May it stir in us something to tell someone that they also would be saved from the wrath to come. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. In your name we pray. Amen.